Hey guys, my guest tonight, Curry Stegan, is going to tell us about his life growing up and how he became a paranormal investigator. I'll see you in about five minutes. Grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Happy Wednesday, everybody. How's everybody doing? Well, hopefully you're saying you're doing okay. We're almost back to the weekend. Almost, not quite. Anyway, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state of California, which means if you do call us, we can get you. The issue is, you know, people think of California, they think of us like Hawaii, old beaches and stuff. We're like that. We're like that on our West Coast, but... The reality is once you come in from the West Coast, there's farmland, a lot of open land areas, mountains, you name it. So it's a, it's a huge state. So it might take us a couple days to get to you. But in the case it does take us a couple days to get to you, we do have psychics on staff who will phone you and uh, talk with you about what may or may, may not be going on. And if it is something paranormal, then they're, ab they're able to calm down what's going on until we get out there. Usually it doesn't take one or two days before we get out there. So uh, that being said, if you need to find us, just... Uh, Get on Dr. Google and Google California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team, and you will find us in lots of places, lots of locations on Google. Now, along that line, if you are watching from Facebook tonight, and a lot of you are, please feel free to click the follow button if you haven't done so already, uh, because we are trying to build up our following. Uh, I think most everybody else that does this is trying to build up their following, too. So we're trying to build up our following. Also, during the show, if you like what you hear, you like what you see, Please be sure to hit that thumbs up and those smiley faces and things like that. And be sure to comment. If you're if you're in our chat room, be sure to comment. Because what that does is this Facebook's uh, main computer puts us up higher what they call the FYP. And that spreads this all over the place, all over Facebook to different people. Look at that. I got, I got a WD-40 in my chair again. It's going to have to happen. Start to squeak again. Anyway, the same thing for YouTube. If you haven't subscribed already, please do so if you like what you see and hear today. And if you're at home tonight and there's other people in the house and or you're with your friends or whatever, you hear this, hit that share button. And we're trying, like I said, we're trying to get out to as many people as possible. Um, YouTube works the same way. If you haven't subscribed already, please feel free to do so. There's more than 900 videos of this show over there that you can peruse, and it covers everything from you know from cryptids to psychic stuff. You name it, it's there. And because I'm a journalist. Right, I'm a journalist for newspaper work and photography. I also have news stories over there, so you might see a news story you recognize that, that I've covered. All right, tonight we got a great guest. He, um, when I heard this gentleman on another show, he reminded me of me because I have this enthusiasm for what I do, especially for helping people with the paranormal that uh, rubs off on people. And not to say that it's all it's all exciting, glamour, and all that, because it's not. But but I am. I am really into it, and really, and once I'm with a client, you know, I, I will bang my head against the wall until I figure out what's going on at their house or, or business or whatever. But I just love doing it, and I love that feeling of, of success when, when we have helped somebody and educated them about the paranormal. So I'm going to let him tell you his story, but uh, yeah, let's bring him in. Good evening. Good evening, Charlotte. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. And uh, thank you so much for uh, inviting me on the show. Well, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure. So tell me about you, sir. Yeah. So uh, if, uh, you know, we want to go back some years, um, you know, I think uh, my story may be a little bit different than others who mm -hmm. came into the paranormal. Uh, my story was really about trying to discover whether or not there was anything to uh, ghosts and hauntings and uh, the paranormal in general, because 
uh, I just like a lot of other people got into watching some of the paranormal shows. Uh, me and my wife started watching Ghost Hunters, I think was the first show. I mean, there were a few others earlier on in search of with Leonard Nimoy right. and others. But I was always kind of curious. Uh, but I was also I've also considered myself a skeptic as well. So when I say skeptic, I like to say a curious skeptic. Uh -huh. And um, I had a lot of, through the years, I had a lot of friends and family members, acquaintances that had shared, you know, strange stories with me and had talked about having weird experiences. And, you know, they were, it, it was, you know, I always tried to kind of sit back and listen and, uh, you know, give them their chance to talk. And, uh, but in the back of my mind, I was always uncertain. I think the, uh, the jury was out, was was out for me on whether or not uh, there was anything to ghosts and hauntings. I never really did. Uh, I never really could say I had paranormal experiences as a kid. Mm -hmm. You know, there may be a few things that happened that were kind of strange, but it wasn't that kind of, uh, you know, epiphany, if you will, where I go, wow, that was just, uh, I could, you know, hang my hat on that and say, well, that was paranormal. Uh, now, when I was 12 years old, a friend and I were outside, uh, you know, late and uh, we're looking up in the sky and uh, we both saw this strange object just kind of hanging up there in the sky. And, uh, you know, the first thought you have is, well, maybe it's a, you know, a helicopter uh -huh. or something up there. And, you know, it's just hovering up in the sky uh, it's it's really kind of a distant memory now because it was such a long time ago. Uh, but I do remember there were red lights and uh, within a matter of seconds, this thing just shot up out of the sky. And, uh, you know, I remember my friend and I both looking at each other and thinking, wow, what the hell was that? Right. <laughs> um, and neither one of us could make sense of what we had just saw, you know, you know, the first thought is, again, you're trying to come up with some sort of prosaic explanation for what that could be. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, was it a rocket or something? But, you know, you see this thing hanging in the sky and then it just shoots off like it kind of blasts off out of the atmosphere. And we both just shook our heads and thought, you know, I think we both just saw a UFO. But I think we also both agreed that we were going to keep it to ourselves. We weren't going to go around telling family members and, you know, other friends and stuff that, you know, that we saw a UFO because, you know, this is a, I'm going to date myself here. This is early 80s at the time. Okay. And, uh, you know, things, people were not quite as open to that kind of stuff back then as I, I suppose that they are now. Uh -huh. So, um I think from that point on, I always had an interest in the UFO phenomena. I think now you'll hear UAP term used a lot. Mm -hmm. I still like the old term UFOs, but that, um, if you want to call that paranormal, if we get into the deeper meaning of paranormal, which really textbook definition is anything really scientifically unexplainable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in a broader sense, you can lump UFOs into there. But I suppose that experience, even though I didn't have any experiences I could say were with ghosts or, or hauntings, mm -hmm. uh, I suppose maybe that whetted my appetite down the road for the possibility of the unexplained. Mm -hmm. uh, and then again, fast forward, you know, many years later, uh, I spent many years in the military. I'm a retired Air Force. And uh, I, you know, kind of quietly followed the UFO issue. But when it came to ghosts and hauntings, again, I was still kind of on the fence. Right. And then, uh, you know, my wife and I started watching the Ghost Hunters show, I want to say circa maybe 2005 mm -hmm. time frame. And, uh, you know, I watched it for several years. And I always thought it was interesting and kind of entertaining. And, you know, I even kind of liked the approach they had to doing, you know, to investigating the unknown and, and you know, potential ghosts or hauntings. But I was still always on the fence. And so 
Uh, it wasn't until, again, there was a lot of people that shared stories with me, mm -hmm. a lot of people that, you know, I, I kind of, you know, paused for a minute and thought, well, I don't really think this person is, I think they're rational. Mm -hmm. I don't think that they were lying to me, uh, but it was always the old adage, I guess I will believe it when it happens to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just kind of was on the fence. I was curious, but I was also skeptical. So when somebody did, you know, share a story with me, uh -huh. you know, I, I'd kind of stored in the in the data bank there. But then in the back of my mind, I was always, you know, kind of thinking, well, maybe they thought what they experienced was a ghost, but maybe there is a rational explanation for it. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I think that was kind of the space that I was in for several years, even after starting to watch the ghost hunter show and then uh fast forward to 2013 time frame uh a friend of ours sent us an invite to this ghost hunting event now i live in northern utah i'm in ogden utah area uh and uh a friend of ours forwarded us this invite to go to this ghost hunting event and uh it's about 20 minutes north of where i live up in brigham city and uh, my wife and I talked it over. And again, my wife is probably a little bit more open to this stuff than I was. Uh, you know, she had even went to psychics and done readings and stuff. And if you would have asked me back then what I thought of psychics, you know, I probably would have just rolled my eyes a little bit. Right. And, you know, I'm just being honest. That was kind of the space I was in at the time. Mm -hmm. So anyways, we get this invite and, and again, I'd been watching the show and I thought, well, why not, you know, go check it out, you know, and kind of see what this is about. So we went on this event and uh, again, this is this is late 2013. I want to say October. It's getting close to Halloween. Uh, so, of course, you know, there's, you know, haunted houses and, you know, there's paranormal events going on and this is one of them. So we go up to this uh, place where they're doing the event, and it uh, the location was called the Baron Woolen Mill. And uh, it was an old mill that dated back to the 1800s, to mid to latter part of the 1800s. Uh, and uh, it, unfortunately, about five years ago, burned down, uh, which is sad because it was a really cool location. So we go to the event, and there's this paranormal group there that, had been doing events, events there for a while and had investigated the location several times. And there's a lot of other guests that showed up. And so we're just kind of filling it out. And uh, we ended up, you know, just going along on the event. And uh, the people that are sponsoring the event, the group, you know, they've got equipment. Uh, I think they had like audio recorders and uh, EMF devices and a few cameras and you know, they were using the mag flashlights where, you know, if you loosen the end of that thing and you just put a little bit of pressure, it'll illuminate. And mm -hmm. so, for, you know, you've probably seen or other people out there, your guests have probably seen, you know, those used on the ghost hunter shows or the paranormal shows to try and, you know, get interaction. And so they were using those at the location and, you know, asking questions and trying to get responses on the Mac flashlights. And it seemed like they were getting some responses. And of course, you know, I'm just kind of in the background, just kind of watching. And, uh, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, I don't think what they're doing is paranormal. I don't know if there's any trickery involved here or what's going on, but, you know, I'm just kind of, you know, observing, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so we're just walking around really big location. There's several buildings. Uh, and the main building is a three-story uh, building. A lot of the machinery uh, where they made blankets and all kinds of other clothing and stuff like that at this old mill are still there. We're still there. You know, obviously I said the, the location of the, the facilities burned down now. Um, and so, you know, it's a really cool location just from a historical perspective. A lot of people had died working there uh, in tragic accidents. And so the host of the group knew a lot about the history. And uh, so I was kind of enjoying just learning about the history alone. And then he talked a, a bit about who he thought 
was actually haunting the location. And, uh, you know, so again, we're just kind of along for the ride. We're going along with the group. Uh, and uh, we're in one of the back buildings. And I remember my wife said something to me about that she forgot the flashlight. And, uh, and I think I said to her, well, I can go back out to the car and get the flashlight. I had one, but she didn't have one. And uh, I think she wanted a flashlight. So I said, well, I'll go back to the parking lot, go to the car and get the flashlight. So we're about over halfway through the event. I think the event lasted maybe about three hours. And so I come out of the building and I'm walking outside on the sidewalk in between two of the buildings. And I know I mentioned the main building, which is a three-story building. And then to the left of it's an old storage building where we went into that building as well. Um, you know, and I'm walking and just past that is the street and then out to the parking lot. Well, just as I'm passing the, the main facility on my right, I look up, I just happen to look up and I see this glowing green light. Uh, some would call it an orb. Uh, you know, I'm not looking at this with a camera or anything. This is with my naked eyes. And I'm looking up watching this float, free floating green ball of light just hanging up there. Uh, and so my first thought is, it's gotta be, you know, somebody up there with a colored flashlight. Right. Now, you know, we're broken into two groups at this event. So my first thought is, well, maybe a few of the, the people from the other group are upstairs at the time and somebody's gotta be shining one of those colored flashlights, right? So, you know, I'm standing down there on the sidewalk. Some of the windows are broken out at this location. So, you know, I'm yelling up there, trying to find out if anybody's up on third floor where I'm seeing this green ball of light. And I'm getting nothing, no responses. I don't hear anybody. Uh, you know, again, the, the windows are broken out. So, you know, you probably would hear people up there uh, if they were up there. So, you know, I'm yelling at least probably three or four times to find out if anybody's up there and I don't hear a thing. And in the meantime, I'm also watching this, you know, floating green ball of light and uh, it just kind of hangs up there and then it floats up higher up towards, cause it looks like it's on the inside of that building, just on the inside of the window there. And it kind of floats up towards the ceiling and uh, it got a little bit bigger and then shrunk back down and just eventually just disappeared. And so, you know, I'm watching this and here I'm kind of scratching my head going, well, what the, what the hell was that? You know, mm -hmm. that was strange. And uh, so, you know, after that happened, I just walked out to the parking lot, went to the car, grabbed the, the other flashlight, came back and rejoined the group in that back building. And uh, when I got back to the to join the group, I, of course, I asked the host of the group if he knew where the other, because, again, I mentioned we were broken up into two groups at the event. I said, uh, you know, do you know where the other group is right now? And uh, he says, yeah, they're down. They're in the main building, but they're down in the basement. And they've been down in the basement area for about 10 or 15 minutes. And so I had just witnessed that green ball of light maybe a minute or two before that. So that kind of ruled out totally for me that there was nobody up on that floor at the time. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we continued on with the event and uh, we're finishing up going around to a few of the other buildings. And uh, we're pretty much wrapping up at the event. And... Uh, we start walking back, you know, they had packed up their equipment and we're walking back outside on that same sidewalk I just mentioned where I saw that kind of like the free floating green ball of light. And we're walking back out and I think I got ahead of the group a little bit and I'm walking alone. Uh, my wife was back with the main group and I'm walking and to the left of me is that old storage building. And uh, as I'm walking past, I just real quickly peek my head in and I see a shadow just dart across the wall. And I thought, uh, that was strange. That looked like a person. 
And, uh, you know, there's a road right um, past there. I mentioned there's a road uh, running adjacent to the facility there. And, you know, if you see a car come by, you'll know it's car lights. You'll know it's a car coming by. There were no cars coming by, but it looked like the shadow of a person. I mean, to me, it clearly looked like a shadow of a person. Now, it wasn't my shadow because of the way the da- the, the shadow came across the wall and, and the angle and the direction. It certainly was not my shadow. It wasn't the shadow of any of the group members behind the people that were in the group behind me because they were too far behind me. So it's another time where I'm just standing there kind of perplexed, you know, again, scratching my head going, you know, what was that that I just witnessed? And I'm like, that looked like the shadow of a person, like pretty kind of like I spooked something, uh-huh. you know, like I spooked something in there and uh, it, it just darted away. And so, of course, the group that's behind me, the group of people behind me catch up with me. And one of the guys from the group walks over to me and he's like, uh, so what's going on? Is, did you see something? And I said, yeah, I think I just witnessed a shadow of a person dart across the wall. And so he kind of looks at me and, uh, you know, for a minute he says, yeah, we get that here sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I'm like, you know, again, I'm perplexed. I'm, I'm kind of, uh, you know, my curiosities, of course, you know, growing here. And so he walks into the storage shed with me and we're just kind of walking around. Now we had went into the building earlier that night They had done some EVP sessions and, you know, tried to get some interaction with EMF devices and mag flashlights. And we really were not getting anything in that building. But, you know, that experience was a little bit unusual. Um, And I also had borrowed a voice recorder from my sister-in-law. And my sister-in-law was already working with a paranormal group. And so for me, I'm just kind of filling it out and trying to, to figure out whether there's something to any of this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Charlotte, to be perfectly honest, I had the expectation that I would go check this out and probably nothing would happen and it would be boring. And, you know, I would just decide to go about my life and maybe just decide, hey, there isn't anything to this. Uh, but you know, it's not really the way it happened. And so earlier I'll, I'll back up a little bit earlier on in the night. I was also, because again, I'm in the curiosity and, you know, exploring phase of this and I'm talking to the main guy of the group. I think he's kind of the lead for the group. He was hosting the event. Uh, he's really the guy that was covering the history and talking about what's haunting the location and all that. And I just asked him, is there, you know, I, you know, I mentioned to him, I'm not part of a paranormal group. Uh, I'm just kind of exploring. And, you know, I was just curious whether there were any other cool locations to go check out. And uh, he mentioned to me another location that him and some of his group members had went to on several occasions. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it, it was what's left of an old mining town, uh, which is south of a town called Tooele, Utah. And, uh, you know, he talked to me about it, said we have went up there several times and had some interesting experiences. And, you know, I'm kind of thinking in the back of my mind, well, I'm not really sure about cemeteries and especially old cemeteries. And uh, but I'm listening and I'm thinking, well, you know, sounds interesting, though. And, uh, you know, after the event, after we're all done and wrapped up and went home, I think a few days later, uh, you know, of course, I had the two experiences. And so I'm still very curious, you know, what I had witnessed. Uh, I always like to say, and this is my, you know, my skeptical side is through the years, I've been doing paranormal investigating now for 10 years. And even throughout the number of years I've been doing it, even after I became really more of a believer in all this stuff, even when I would have an experience, my mind would still at times play tricks on me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if I seen a shadow, heard a disembodied voice, 
whatever the case may be, felt like I got touched. I would try and talk myself out of it. And, you know, I would go through that kind of, uh, I, I would go through that kind of thought process where I'd be like, you know, there had to be something rational to explain what I experienced. And that's just the way my, you know, my left brain mind works. And uh, so, you know, that's, it's no different with the two experiences I had. Sure, I was curious, but I was also trying to explain what they could have been. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem was I was having a hard time trying to rationalize a, and provide and come up with a logical explanation to what I had experienced. So anyways, I had talked over uh, this. It's called Marker is the name of what the old mining town was mm -hmm. uh, that 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 guy talked to me about. And uh, I talked to my wife about it. And, uh, you know, I, like I said, I think it was late October when we went to the event. Uh, I talked to my wife about it. I thought, well, maybe we should go check that place out, you know, and see if there's anything to what the host had talked about, because he said they've had some pretty cool experiences there. So <laughs> I'll just say my wife is a little bit more uneasy about going out in the dark and, and that sort of thing. And so it took, I'm not even sure how I convinced her to do this. Um, but by this time, it's early November. I think it was the first week in November, 2013. Uh, I talked it over with her and I somehow talked her into taking a drive out there. Uh, we looked up the directions on the internet and, you know, there was other people that went out there and explored it and they had posted information about it. And so, you know, you know, we left during the daylight, I think in the afternoon and, you know, this is early November, so it's starting to get dark quite a bit earlier. Uh, we make the drive out there, which is well over an hour to get all the way out to the site. Um, so we get out to the site. We find it. Uh, we park and uh, we get out of the vehicle. Like I said, it's still it's getting dark. It's not pitch dark yet. Uh, down at the bottom of the hill, there's a sign. Uh, and the only thing left of this of this mining town, I should mention, is an old cemetery. The mining town has been flattened. The uh, Barrick Mining Gold Company went in there and flattened the actual town. So you can't go into the town anymore. In fact, it's fenced off. Uh, but the only thing left of the old mining town is this old cemetery, Merker Cemetery. So we're looking at the sign. We're reading it. And uh, the sign says the last person laid to rest there was 1915. So, uh, yeah, this old mining town, it was a booming mining town in the late 1800s. Uh, they were mining primarily silver there, uh, but they were mining a little bit of gold and a few other things. Uh, but anyways, at one point in time, the town was a, a booming mining town. This old cemetery was all that's left standing, and that's what he had talked to us about. So we uh, we got out of the car, grabbed a few things. I had a voice recorder. We had some mag flashlights. This time I decided to purchase a voice recorder um, based on the advice from my sister-in-law who was working with a paranormal group. And so it's starting to get dark. We make the trek up. It's about a quarter of a mile trek up this steep hill to get to the top of this old cemetery. Now, Mind you, where we're at is we're up on a mountainside uh, where this old marker town was. And the old cemetery is sitting up on this hill at the bottom of this mountainside. It is just desolate out there. I mean, aside from a few roads, um, there is nothing out there. I mean, other than that old cemetery. Uh, it's early November. If you go in the summertime or probably early fall even, you're going to see probably some people out there. Some people go out there to shoot guns. Some people go out there to ride ATVs, uh, even go out in that general area to camp. Uh, but it's early November and there's not a car in sight. There's not a soul in sight. Uh, so it's starting to get dark. We make the trek up the hill. Uh, and we uh, once we get to the top of the hill, uh, again, it's already getting dark and, uh, you know, we're shining our flashlights and we had seen pictures of the place. 
Uh, all the grade markers are nothing but, you know, primarily wood slats for, uh, you know, marking the, the, the graves. And some of the grave sites are nothing but rock piles. Um, it's got a bit of a creep factor too. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, especially as it's starting to get dark, you know, we can hear coyotes howling off in the background, not a person in sight in any direction. Uh, the other thing about this location is it's beautiful. You can see every star in the sky. There's no light pollution. Uh, you know, we're looking up into the sky and it's starting to get dark and the stars are coming out. And you're looking out into the valley, and the only thing really that you see out in the valley is uh, a, several miles away is the Tooele Army Depot. And uh, from that spot, all you can see is the Tooele Army Annex, which is a few buildings out there. And that's just basically you can look out along the horizon, you know, and, and the sun hits set. It's a beautiful location. That's one of the things I'm noticing, too. I'm just enjoying uh, this this location and, and the view and the you know seeing the stars and everything but we're also there to kind of explore and you know see if there's any possible paranormal aspect to it right. um so we're walking around the perimeter of this old cemetery because there's there's kind of a trail uh that leads uh, that goes around the perimeter of this old cemetery so you know, of course, my wife's a little bit worried about squatters and stuff like that. Uh, we're just walking around the perimeter of this site, you know, checking it out, just confirming that there's nobody else out there with us, kind of getting the lay of the land. And uh, after we kind of walked around the perimeter, we kind of made our way into the inner part where the cemetery, the main part of the cemetery was. And, you know, we're just walking around to, we're trying to be respectful. We don't want to step on any grave sites where, you know, we're using our mag flashlights. By this time, it's already pretty much pitch dark. Um, and so we're walking around. I'm using a voice recorder. I'm kind of trying to get used to the fact that I'm asking questions to whatever may be there. And I don't even know if there is anything there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and I'm trying to do, uh, what some would call EVP sessions. Mm -hmm. You know, we're walking around to the different grave sites. Uh, we know there's been a lot of miners laid to rest there. We're asking questions uh, related to that. Uh, we're trying using the mag flashlights to see if we can get any interaction. Nothing's happening. You know, all we continue to hear is, you know, every once in a while we hear the coyotes off in the background. Um, nothing's happening. And, uh, you know, that went on for probably about 40, 45 minutes, if that long. I don't know. My wife was really starting to get antsy and, you know, it's a little bit spooked, uh, to say the least. It's, it's pitch dark outside. There's no one else around. Who knows what other animals out there? We know there's coyotes. <laughs> um, and so nothing's happening. And so we eventually just decide to make our way out of the cemetery and head back down the hill. So as we start making our way out of the cemetery, I probably should have mentioned at the top of the hill, there's another, there used to be, it's gone now. There's just, there was just a little wooden sign that simply said Merker Cemetery. And so I mentioned I had a voice recorder. We had mag flashlights. I set my voice recorder up there on the sign. And uh, I also set the flashlight up there. And uh so we're still, you know, I thought this is one last ditch effort to try and see if we get any interaction. And so I start asking questions again. And, you know, if there's anybody here with us, uh, could you please let us know you're here and do so by, uh, I think I had the flashlight illuminated at the time and I kind of had the connection loose. And I asked for if there's somebody there with us to turn the flashlight off. Well, the flashlight went off. And within about maybe three or four seconds, I asked for it to turn the flashlight back on and it went on. And that interaction had, went on for probably a, two or three minutes where we seemed to be getting interaction with the flashlight. Now, I mentioned that we had been trying that for about 40 to 45 minutes, maybe walking around the cemetery. and We were getting nothing, absolutely nothing. So 
here we are, last ditch effort, and all of a sudden we seem to be getting some interaction with the flashlight. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife at this time, like I said, she's a little uneasy. She's ready to go. She's tugging on my arm. And uh, she says, I think it's time for us to make our way out of here and head back down the hill. And just, I, I mean, it had to have been seconds after she said that. And she started to kind of tug on my arm that I started hearing whistling. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and when I say whistling, I don't mean like a bird whistling. Uh, it sounded clearly to me like somebody casually whistling. Like you might hear a person who's in a good mood and you walk past them on the street or on the sidewalk or in a building or something, and, you know, they're whistling, you know, jovially whistling. That's what this sounded like. It sounded like somebody just kind of jovially whistling. Um, now, could I make out a tune or anything? <laughs> no, but it sounded like somebody kind of whistling a little tune or something. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, of course, that's it. My wife's done. Uh, she's even more spooked at this time. So she's tugging on my arm and we start making our way down the, the steep hill. You know, we're slowly kind of make our way down the hill so we don't slip and fall down the hill. And uh, of course, we get down to the bottom of the hill. I, I mentioned it's probably about a quarter of a mile trek down back to where the parking lot is. Mm -hmm. we, get back, we get back to the car and we're kind of looking back up the hill and stuff. I think when we were hearing the whistling, I was also shining my flashlight into the trees and into the cemetery area. There's a lot of juniper trees around there, you know, just to make sure, absolute certain, there's nobody there with us. Right. Um, any actual person, if you will, uh, or ghost, if you will, <laughs> apparition or anything, nothing. You know, we don't see a thing. And then, of course, we made pretty quick retreat out of there down the hill and back to the car. And uh, so we that was it. We left. Uh, we we headed back home uh, a little over an hour drive and we just went back home. And, you know, we talked about it when we got home a little bit that night. And wow, that was unusual. The whistling and, you know, seemed to be getting some interaction on the flashlight. But more importantly, I'm sitting here thinking, wow, you know, I'm, I didn't really expect anything to happen. I just thought, you know, let's just go explore and see what happens. And so two locations, uh, really what I could say were two experiences at both of the locations. And now I'm just more and more curious, mm -hmm. uh, you know, about what the heck could be what, I, what I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. And uh, could this be paranormal? And could there be something to this? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's really kind of wetting my appetite. And so, you know, after talking about that, you know, we went back, I listened to some audio. And of course, I listened to that where we heard the whistling. I captured it on audio as well. Nice. It was a, you know, it was a little bit more faint than I wanted it to be, but it was there. And I, and so I had audio evidence of the whistling sound we heard. And so, you know, at this point, I'm just like, you know, wow, you know, what, what the, what the hell's going on here? I didn't expect really much to happen. And now I've had these experiences and I'm talking to my sister-in-law about the experiences I had. And of, and of course I mentioned, she's already working with the paranormal group. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, she mentions to me, you know, she talks to me about the paranormal group, some of the locations they're going to, and uh, she says to me, well, maybe you should go on the website and, and check out the website and, you know, find out a little bit more about the paranormal group. Maybe go on there and apply to be a member if you're really curious about this stuff and, and want to explore more. And, uh, you know, she had talked to me a few times about some of the locations they went to, and they sound like they went to some really cool locations. So I, I think the next week I went on the website checked it out. They had a questionnaire on there. I went in and filled out a questionnaire. And uh, I think less than a week later, the director of the group contacted me and asked me if I wanted to join them for a, uh, as a guest, just as a guest uh, on their next, uh, you know, paranormal adventure, uh, their paranormal investigation. So that's, that's how it happened. Mm -hmm. uh, I went on uh, investigation with the group. 
Um, I can talk about the location because it's a well-known location here uh, in Ogden. It's called the Gray, Graycliff Lodge. Um, there's been a, yeah, there's a lot of uh, paranormal groups that have went there and investigated, done paranormal investigating there. Um, so I went on the event. I had a couple more interesting things happen on that event. Uh, on, uh, you know, my being a guest, just going along with the group, uh, I actually captured an EVP at that uh, first investigation I went to with the group as a guest. And, uh, you know, as the rest, as they say, the, the rest is history. I just started after that. I got invited to go on another uh, investigation. Um, they invited me to be a member of the group, be a member in training. And I just started working with the group and going on more and more investigations. And, uh, you know, yeah, I just got deeper and deeper into it. And uh, here I am 10 years later. And uh, I decided uh, I also got into podcasting. And uh, I started exploring other kinds of things as a result of doing the podcast show. You know, I mentioned that I was already had been into, you know, um, reading about and being interested in the UFO phenomena. So mm -hmm. I covered uh, I covered a lot of uh, I had a lot of guests on that were experiencers or UFO researchers. And it just kind of grew from there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this. You know, you talked about sh shadow beings. And I had an aha moment with one once, you know, it never occurred to me that a shadow person, because I would see them occasionally like in buildings like you, but it never occurred to me until I almost ran one over. And I'm going to say that laughingly. I had one cross the road in front of my car at night. And it never occurred to me that they were solid beings because they, they, they look like shadows. But when this thing, when, his, when this person looked like a man, real tall guy, ran in front of my car, the flat the, the the headlights wouldn't pierce it wow no light went through and he ran across the road in front of me and went, and went up the side an embankment that, that no human could do this you know just maybe an animal maybe but you know just it's just too stiff and it never occurred to me that they were solid until that moment the other thing you were talking about were the flashlights i love the flashlights i'm a flashlight person one of the things i like to do when i'm in a smaller location is it's like most well, some people will put two flashlights down one next to each other and say okay Yes and no, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'll put one on one side of the room and one on the other side of the room. And then I'll say, okay, the one over on the right over here is your yes. And the one over on the left over here is your no. And I've gotten some really good results with that. But if, what is your favorite piece of equipment to use when you're out in the field? Well, um, I always say the number one piece of go-to equipment for me is digital voice recorders. Um, and I think there's a lot of people in the paranormal field who've done it for a long time that would probably say the th same thing. Mm -hmm. um, about 95% or at least over 90% of the evidence that we've captured, what we consider to be, you know, unexplainable, uh, either in the gray area. Some people, I think I've heard it referred to as the gray box before. Right, right. Um, just kind of the unknown or what we really could not explain away as somebody else's voice in the group, some mm -hmm. other sound coming from outside or other some other type of prosaic explanation, mm -hmm. uh, you know, those kinds of things. But 90 plus percent of it has come from in the form of audio evidence and using voice recorders. So that's always, you know, no, the number one piece of equipment, go to equipment. For me, and I always like to have two or three of them. Uh, we, the group I was working with, by which I unfortunately am no longer working with that paranormal group. Mm -hmm. uh, for nearly ten years, I had worked with the group. Um, there was a few members of the group that liked to set up five, six, seven, eight voice recorders in a location. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem is, I never, I, I could never get the time to go back and review all of that audio. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. You know, who has the time? It's hard enough just to review one, let alone five or six or seven or eight voice recorders, uh -huh. um, you know, when placed in different locations. But if somebody, you know, you're listening to one voice recorder and you hear somebody say, hey, did you hear that? Uh -huh. And they're in uh, another room or another location. Right. 
and you know you had you timestamp these voice recorders and you know you had another voice recorder in that room mm -hmm. at the time now you can go back you know what timestamp or what time frame it was based on listening to the one voice recorder mm -hmm. and you can go back and and reference the other voice recorder to see if you happen to capture something mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so i do see some value in doing that but I personally would only use maybe a couple myself. And I like to oftentimes carry one with me. Sure. And sometimes if there was a hot spot or what we consider to be a potential hot spot in a location, I would always try and, you know, put another voice recorder in there. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I'm one of those people that likes to have a lot of them. And um, I'll tape them to the walls, you know, in the room. In front of the camera so you, so you can tell that nobody's messing with them the other thing i do that i i have had arguments with people over is i i, I use these old uh sony p uh, p620 recorders they're mm -hmm. they're almost antiquated now in fact i can't even use it on like microsoft anything above xp <laughs> so i have right. to have a laptop just for that but the interesting thing about them is that you could use um what's the word voice command on them you know, you know without letting it just run Mm -hmm. You can use voice, voice trigger on there and they will pick up and they're really good at picking up. And I've done it to where I've done lectures on that and showed people how, how well they'll pick up because a lot of recorders, if you try to do that, they they won't get the whole thing you're saying, you're saying they don't pick them up like, like some of the Olympus ones. So that right. way, when I go in and again, like you talk about time is so important to keep timestamps on everything. You know, I have to say, you know, when, when I set it up and then I can pretty much judge by like, if, like you say, on another recording that somebody gets a voice, I can go back and verify there. But then instead of having to sit there all day going through all that stuff, I know that because it's voice, you know, because it's voice triggered, it's not going to take all that time to do that. Right. But that's just my thoughts. I mean, your thoughts are different than my thoughts, you know, but that's, that's what we all do. You know, we try different things. The other thing is, do you guys use anything like dowsing rods? I have used them and I've experimented with them and, I've had some interesting results with them, to tell you mm -hmm. the truth, uh, where, you know, I've heard people say, and this is where some of the, you know, more of the hardcore skeptics in the paranormal field will say, right. I don't use them because you could be turning those things and not realize you're doing it mm -hmm. by it with the own weight of, with the, your, your own weight of your hands. And, uh, I really have used an experiment with those on several occasions. And, uh, you know, I am trying not to use any pressure, really hardly any pressure, just right. light pressure so that they're not moving freely and mm -hmm. holding them. And then there's times when I've been in locations and we've been using them where, you know, cross the rods for yes, you know, move the rods out for no. And it seems like, there is some kind of force tugging on them. Mm -hmm. And it's bizarre because I've had it happen probably on two or three different occasions where I'm 99% certain that I'm not doing anything mm -hmm. with my hands to cause these rods to move. Right. And they're moving on their own because, you know, you also... Uh, there's been times where I'm in location where I'll start getting, it seems like, responses with either dowsing rods, EMF devices, and uh, I'm using a certain line of questioning. Mm -hmm. And I'll completely change my line of questioning to something off the wall. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's happened with dowsing rods. And I'll go to an entirely different off-the-wall line of questioning, and then I get no response. Mm -hmm. You know, And then I'll go back to the original kind of line of questioning and, uh, and it seems like I'm starting to get responses again. And mm -hmm. that, uh, so yeah, I, I think we've had some success. Now, I don't use them all the time. Right. Um, but I have used them at least probably on three, four, five different occasions. Uh, and a couple of times, it seems like we were getting some pretty good responses using them. Um, well, the other thing I found interesting with them too is that if you do them, if you use them during EVP sessions, some of those answers will will confirm between the dowsing rods and what you pick up on on the um, recorder. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely, and that's always I think that's always more compelling when you have two different independent whether they're pieces of equipment, 
whether it's an EMF device going off and then you get an EVP at the same time. Um, another thing that I will say is I've learned to trust my body. Um, I've learned to, when I sense something or I feel something, uh, and oftentimes when I have said, this has happened on at least two or three different occasions where I'm in a location and I'll feel strong energy. And, you know, Charlotte, some of the times the way I feel it or sense it is, I feel it as like that static electricity kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. Some people feel it as cold spots. Mm -hmm. Some people feel it as, you know, heat or cold spots. I usually get that. I, I just think everybody's tuned differently. Everybody feels energy differently. Mm -hmm. For me, it was often that static electricity kind of feeling. Uh, or you start to feel the hair stand up on your arms, your neck. And I've had that backed up by audio uh, on, you know, two or three different occasions. I can at least off the top of my head think of two right now. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll give you one example. We were in um, what used to be called the Ben Loman Hotel here on historic 25th Street, downtown Ogden. Um, very old hotel, a lot of history to it. Um, a lot of reported paranormal activity. We were down in the basement of this location and it was me and one other female investigator. Everybody else, for some reason in the group that night was not able to make it. Uh, and uh, it's the only time we got into this location. I happened to have a cousin who was working at the hotel at the time that managed to get us in. Uh, and we were in the basement now in Ogden, historic Ogden, 25th Street. There used to be an underground tunnel system. And they, uh, they've they closed off all those tunnels. But there was also a major rail hub uh, right there on 25th Street. Union Station was a major rail hub. And there was a lot of crazy things going on in the late 1800s, early 1900s, right here in Ogden. The mob was here. There was underground gambling, um, bootlegging, you know, un there was prostitution rings, all kinds of bad stuff going on here. And uh, so we're down in the basement of the Ben Loman, and uh, there are still a couple of what's left of the tunnel systems down in that basement that you can access. And uh, we're walking along one of the tunnels that used to adjoin to the rest of the tunnel system underneath 25th Street. And I ran into what felt like a wall of energy. And I also talk about this in my book. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my, I, I uh, ran into what felt like a wall of energy. And uh, I, it pretty much stopped me dead in my tracks. And uh, the female investigators with me was behind me. I asked her, she walked up to me and uh, I said, do you feel what I'm feeling here? And she said, no, I don't feel anything. And so, you know, three, four days later, I'm back reviewing my voice recorder. Uh -huh. And at the moment I stopped and said, wow, I'm feeling some strong energy here. I got a male guttural voice that came through my recorder that was as clear as day and it sounded like it was right next to the recorder and uh it was within a, probably a second of me mentioning that i felt that energy uh -huh. and so to me that confirmed what i was feeling absolutely uh there's a question in the chat room what do you think of the phone apps uh, yeah, I've had people ask me about them before, and uh, I personally have never used them. Uh, I know of a few people who have, and uh, they claim to get good results on them. Uh, anything that you get on a phone, I personally am a little bit leery of because I don't, you know, apps can be manipulated. Uh -huh. And uh, I don't know who's behind the back end of that app and, uh -huh. you know, what's going on with the on the back end of it and so i'm a little bit skeptical personally look if you want to go out to locations and try out the apps and everything by all means do hey explore find out what works best for you uh, i don't fault anybody for you know if they want to go out and some people like to call it ghost hunting i personally don't like that term because 
I've been in the paranormal for a long time. I prefer the term paranormal investigating. But when I do normally go to a location, I'm trying to find evidence. And I'm trying to either find evidence or if I don't find any evidence, I can go back to either the people that invited us there or the people that are trying to get answers and try and, you know, talk to them about what my experiences were there. And so, you know, I'm trying to be as objective as I possibly can be. Uh, and so I'm a little bit leery of using apps. I really have never used them myself. I have experimented with the spirit boxes, the SB7s. Uh -huh. uh, and I know some other people claim they've gotten really good results with those. For me, it's been pretty much a goose egg. I, yeah. I get a lot of radio interference. I get a lot of, okay, that was a voice, but that was a voice coming through from the radio. Uh, you know, it's it's scanning through the radio stations. Uh, I had one occasion where it sounded like we were on the AM band, same location I talked to talked about earlier, Merker Cemetery. I've been out there several more times and had other experiences out there. And that's the only time where it felt like we actually got a female voice on that SB7. Every mm -hmm. other location I've I've went to and tried, it just seems like radio chatter and background noise. So um, I, so that goes back to me being uh, more willing to use my voice recorders. And that is really my go-to piece of equipment when I'm going out and investigating locations. Everything else, if I do decide to experiment with an SB7, I don't do it for very long because then you're also, you know, creating a bunch of background noise for all your other audio. And so, yeah, not real keen on the apps myself, but, you know, again, that's just a personal thing. Well, as far as the SB7 and the SB11 go, I agree with you 100%. That drives me insane. And then the whole crackle thing, too. That drives me crazy. There's nothing worse than having to listen back on that stuff, too. The only time I allow those being used with my team are if we're in a rural area, you know, where there's not a lot of radio stations and stuff, because otherwise I don't trust them. But I can honestly say that, Way back in the old days, now I'm going to date myself back on this, when they had the Shack Hacks, uh -huh. those original Shack Hacks. I got better results with those than I do the SB7 or the SB11. And as far as the apps go, I don't use a lot of them. There's like two apps that I use that I've used over the years, and I've never updated them. I just keep the same settings on them, and they've done pretty good. But uh, there was a recent app I put on my phone. I can't remember what it was now, but I was uh, just fooling around in here in the studio asking questions. And it seemed to be a male that I came in contact with. And I said, well, can you tell me your name? And the next thing I hear out of it is, am I on video? Wow. <laughs> and here's the camera up here all the time. So somebody's yeah. here watching me do this, you know. So that kind of freaked me out because right away, you're, you know, because it's in your house and you're just going, you know, who is that? But yeah. I don't use a lot of the apps. Like I said, there's only a couple that I use and they, they were made, designed like six years ago, you know. So, yeah, I agree with you 100%. Because there's too much, they can be they can be manipulated too easily. Yeah, I agree with you with that. Yeah, and uh, second piece of equipment I always want to take with me is, of course, at least one camera. Yes. And uh, you know, normally it's a location we're going to at night. I've had people ask me, "Why do you go at night? And uh, why not just go during the day?" Right. You know. Well, a lot of times the places we're going to are only accessible to us at night. Uh, secondly, what do you have going on in the day? You've got a million people, you, you know, outside, cars going by at a lot of different locations. You've got a lot of noise outside, all that kind of thing. Do I think that hauntings and paranormal activity happen in the day, just mm -hmm. like at night? Sure. Um it's just normally when we go out and do this stuff, we have went during the day on a weekend before uh, just to, you know, go and, and, you know, check out locations. Mm -hmm. uh, but it just so happens that's normally when we're going. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as turning out the lights, <laughs> well, I don't know. I've heard it said that helps heighten the other senses. Mm -hmm. uh, it does kind of up the creep factor a little bit if you're going for that. Um, I, other than that, I'm not really sure how to answer that. Do we always leave the lights off? No, sometimes we do turn lights on and such. Um, but 
but not always. Absolutely. This hour just blew by, Curry, and I, I want to thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. You bet, and I uh, really appreciate you having me on. Wow, it did go by fast, and I didn't even realize we had been on that long. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, appreciate it, Charlotte, and uh, it was a pleasure talking with you. How can people find you? Uh, well, they can find me on – I do have a website. Uh, it probably needs some updating. I haven't updated it for a while. Uh, and that's uh, a long one. It's passion, the number four, the paranormal.com. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash passion, the number four, the paranormal. Uh, so those are the two best places. If you ever want to drop me an email, uh, it's a little bit shorter. Uh, passion, the number four, the para, P-A-R-A at gmail.com. So any of those ways you can reach out to me. And the title of your book again, and where people can get it. Yeah, so the title of the book is uh, Walking in the Shadows of Strangers, My Journey into the Paranormal. So it's really about what I just talked to you about, Charlotte, my 10-year journey into doing this, and my experiences in the paranormal and uh, where I came out to on the other end of that. Well, it's like I told you when I asked you to be on the show, you and I have a lot in common. Our, you know, we, got, we have this enthusiasm for this, you know, to learn because that's all it is. It's a complete learning process, no matter how much how many times we go out. So I really enjoyed talking with you today. I really, really did. So thank you all so right. much. Maybe all right. We'll thank you, you Charlotte. Maybe we'll get you on again sometime. All right. Sounds great. Have a great okay. night. For you today. too. Bye-bye. All right, guys. Yeah, just a. Uh, he reminded me of me so much when I heard him on the other show, and that's why I wanted to get him on here. Now, Michelle made a statement about uh, talking shop for equipment. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Tomorrow's show is going to be me, and we're going to be talking about some of the darkest, the darker cases that my that my team has handled. There's not a lot of them because you know you, those. You know, I don't care what anybody says, any groups or anything like that. Those types of cases are few and far between. I think they're coming up more frequently now as of lately because people are really hyping them on TV. But a lot of those cases are few and far between. And these are cases, I'm talking cases where we've had to call in shamans or call in clergy to help us out. So it's going to be an interesting day tomorrow. We've had, we've had I'm not going to say a lot of them, probably four or five cases over the, over, over the 18 years where we've had to actually call in for help and reinforcements. But uh, I'm going to be talking about that tomorrow. And if I'm going to, and if, what I'll do for you is we'll talk about some of the equipment, you know, talk shop. Because there's a lot of equipment that paranormal investigators use now that, God, they didn't even use five years ago, you know, so there's different things. So uh, I'll talk about a, a little bit about that tomorrow. I mean, we don't have all the fancy, fancy stuff, but, you know, we we, we, we do have the X cams and all that stuff. So we, we can talk about that a little bit tomorrow. So that'll be tomorrow's show, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. I'll be talking about some of our dark cases that California Haunts has handled. All right. I want to thank Curry again for coming on. I really appreciate him coming on. And just stick with us this week. I'm, I'm, I'm on tomorrow. Nancy Matz is on. Sunday, and we've got a full bank of, of people coming in all next week, uh, different topics and stuff for you guys to hear. So I'm starting to get swinging into this stuff, and you'll see me more uh, doing TikToks as well. I'm starting to get it back into that, and it takes a while to get everything caught up, but we're doing it. But anyway, I will see you guys tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. Equal opportunity. We're just trying to get the word out about our little old show. And like I said, I keep talking about the RSS feed over there at Apple and iHeart and all that. Numbers are still going up. Thank you so much, whoever it is out there that's that's finally taking notice of this show. I so appreciate it. It's been four years of a, of a lot of hard work to, to get to this point, and I'm really, really, really excited. So anyway, I want to let you guys go, and I will see you tomorrow at 6 Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Don't let me forget. Boom. It's rough when you get all senility. Uh, Nancy Matz is going to be doing Valentine's reading on February 4th at 4 p.m. Pacific. And that's a Sunday, and uh, you can check that out over at the California Haunts Meetup. And if you need that link, it's down, it's down under, it's down in the description of this show. So if you go down, there's a line that says California Haunts Events. It's right down below there. We also do a meditation club, and it's it's a month long meditation club, two to three meditations a week. And I will sit down with you early time, 3:30 p.m. Pacific. Late time would be after the show at 7:45 p.m. Pacific. But we sit down and we do a 15 to 20 minute meditation every every meeting. So and it's a different one every meeting. So uh, it might be something you're interested in. Again, head over to California Haunts Meetup for that. 
All right, guys, I'm out of here. I'll see you tomorrow, 7, uh, 7.30. Gosh, I'll see you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a great rest of your evening.